On today's show, Jalen Green does not believe he's a sixth man or that he's being utilized properly by the Rockets. Is Ime Udoka helping Jalen Green succeed enough this season? Plus some thoughts from NBA All-Star Weekend. All that and more coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingun here in the short row. Oh my, that's the no look. Jabari for three on the win. Yeah! Look at Tarisen. Here comes Tarisen. No! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian, a credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for being an everydayer and making the show part of your day every single day. A lot to unpack on today's episode is we're going to get into the, there's a report or a story from good friend of the program, Roosh Williams, as it concerns Jalen Green and his mentality towards his role on this Rockets team and how he's being used by this Rockets team, uh, as well as I'll share, share them some thoughts, tongue-tied at the start of the episode. Great start. I'll share some thoughts on NBA All-Star Weekend 2024 near the end, but let's go ahead and start with the big stuff here because uh, just before All-Star Weekend kicked off the, the festivities, all that stuff, a uh, good friend of the program, Roosh Williams, shared a story uh, on social media. So if you're not a frequenter of, of Rockets Twitter or social media when it comes to your Rockets fandom, you might have missed this. But basically, uh, my understanding of this and, and how Roosh presented it and how we've discussed it, uh, after the Sixers lost last month uh, on MLK Day, I believe it was, uh, Jalen Green reached out to Roosh via DM, which eventually the DMs turned into a phone call and expressed his frustrations, basically saying that he's not being used properly and that he's not a sixth man. Uh, and this was in direct response to Roosh, who had basically said that day uh, that he was ready for Cam Whitmore to start ahead of Jalen Green and that he was ready for Jalen Green to be moved to the bench, more or less something along those lines. So this comes directly on the heels of Ime Udoka, citing after the Grizzlies lost just before the All-Star break that he might have to revisit the starting lineup and tweak some things and change some things. And and the elephant in the room here, the obvious answer is potentially removing Jalen Green from the starting lineup. So this is relevant information as to Jalen's potential mindset if a change were to occur and if Jalen were to be moved to the Rockets bench. So unpacking that, Roosh received, I think, a lot of uh, unfair pushback and criticism for this. Whether First off, whether you like Roosh or hate him, I don't particularly care. The information is true because I've seen the DMs and I've seen the conversation that took place. 
And I will say from the jump that Roosh did, because a lot of people were like, post the screenshots, right? If it's true, share the screenshots, right? Sh show evidence. Roosh did Jalen a huge favor by not posting the screenshots because Jalen approached Roosh in a very, uh, we'll call it an aggressive manner. So there's that. Uh, and if somebody were to approach you the way that Jalen had Roosh in this conversation, uh, there's not really a reasonable expectation of privacy. There's just not. So I think that the reason Roosh waited to share it and, and ultimately shared it when he did is because it was relevant towards what the Rockets may or may not do post-All-Star break as it relates to the starting lineup and as it relates to Jalen Green and the rest of this season and what the Rockets may or may not try to get out of him, try to achieve with him for the remainder of this season. And again, I've seen the screenshots. I've, I, I, can, I can verify that this is all true and above water, above board. And I can also share that this isn't the first time that this has happened with Jalen Green being frustrated with uh, influencer, if you will, because Roosh is not a media member. He's not a journalist. Um, but for me, I actually had uh, a situation with Jalen back in January. Uh, this was on the road in Boston. I hadn't been to a home game since before Christmas. Uh, the last home game I attended was the Rockets Suns game, EG's first trip back to Toyota Center after being traded. And so I hadn't been around the team for a few weeks. And this was this directly coincided with the stretch of play by Jalen Green, where he was playing some of the worst basketball of his career, unfortunately. And it was really tough to watch. It was really tough to cover at the end of the day, because the problem here, and I think that this is the misconception that people have about me, unfortunately, is I think that some people think I take joy in in talking about when player X has a bad game or or whatever, and you can label and say, oh, he's an agenda pusher. He's against this. He's against that. I take zero joy when a player has a bad. It's not fun for me. I don't like watching bad basketball. I don't like watching players struggle. My life would be infinitely better and easier if the Rockets were just all playing like superstars every single night, right? And the team was incredible and I never had to talk about bad games and I could only talk about the good stuff, right? That would make my life a whole hell of a lot better. So I have no, and I have no like vested interest in, you know, the failure of a, of a single player or individual or any of that. That's not, not the case whatsoever. Good things happen. I talk about them. Bad things happen. I talk about them. That's how this show works. That's how I cover the team. So unfortunately, this was during the stretch where Jalen was playing some poor basketball, some of the worst basketball of his career, unfortunately, and it coincided with you know, my absence from the team, you know, I had been incredibly critical of Jalen's play during this stretch. And I believe even I had brought up at one point, uh, similar to Roosh, the idea of potentially, I, I hadn't quite gone there all the way, but the idea of moving Jalen Green to the bench, possibly uh, just change of scenery, less pressure coming off the bench, whatever. And so he took exception to that. And in the visitor's locker room in Boston, uh, he, he voiced frustrations with my criticisms of him, with my commentary on his play. And this was not a conversation. This was not a two-part conversation with two participants. This was Jalen just voicing his frustrations, and, and deservedly so. Like, because at the end of the day, I get it. He's a 21-year-old kid. Well, he's 22 now. He was a 21-year-old kid, weight of the world on his shoulders, number two overall pick. And I'm sure that 
I'm sure that he's his own worst critic. So no matter what I say or what Roosh says or what any of the thousands of fans out there say about him, he's incredibly hard on himself, right? He, again, I've said this before and I'll, I'll say it again. I've never once doubted his work ethic, his drive, his desire to be great, his ability to be coachable, to be teachable, to adjust, to do what is asked of him, all these things. From everybody that I've spoken to, scouts, front office executives, uh, coaches, teammates, They've all said glowing things about Jalen Green on and off the record. So none of this comes from a place of hate or wanting to see him struggle or any of that. Um, and unfortunately, after you know a couple follow-up conversations uh, internally, you know I was left in a place where I was frustrated by the situation for a variety of reasons that I won't fully unpack here on the show. But it led to me acting out and 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 acting in poor taste uh, with the and I apologized for this on social media. Haven't addressed it on the show. Figured now's as good a time as any. But uh, with the Darvin Ham quote about the three-headed monster, and I took a pot shot at Jalen, and I shouldn't have done that. It was rude. It was disrespectful, and uh, it's something that nobody in my position should ever do. And I've since made apologies to everybody that was impacted. I have uh, apologized to Jalen and, you know, we'll, it is what it is. And, you know, we move on from it, but I bring that up. I bring up my experience in addition to Roosh's experience to highlight, you know, what Jalen is kind of going through that the outside noise is really loud and that it can get to a player. Um, and that even if you don't think these players see what's being said about them or, you know, whether it's on a podcast, a YouTube show or on Twitter or whatever, they do see it. They see a lot of it. They see all of it, in fact. And so I, to tie it all back together, what does this tell us, you know, specifically the stuff about, uh, the stuff about Jalen not believing that he's a sixth man or, that he's not being used properly, what does that tell us about what his mentality is going to be if a change is made, ultimately? Because that is relevant information. That is a concerning piece of information as to the approach this team will ultimately take after the All-Star break and what Ime Udoka does or doesn't decide to do or change with the starting lineup. So we're going to unpack that coming up here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is absolutely key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done, and Grammarly can help you with that. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Grammarly works across 500,000 different apps and websites. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant personal personalized suggestions. Their tone suggestions help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. 
And continuing on here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, really quick here at the top of segment two. Next episode that we do, we will be getting into the discussion centered on the firing of Brooklyn Nets head coach Jacques Vaughn and what that means for the Houston Rockets moving forward, owning the Brooklyn Nets draft assets. And we'll also probably take a look at some of the names that the Rockets should be or could be considering in this year's NBA draft with that pick floating in the top 10 right now. So we'll tackle that with our our weekly co-host Madison Moore next episode. But let's go ahead and continue this Jalen Green conversation here because you know, I, I wanted to lay the framework for everything there in the first segment before kind of unpacking and sharing some thoughts here in the second segment. Now, first major thought, and I think I echoed this already a little bit in segment one, but just to re reemphasize here, um, I, this isn't like, I, I think that Jalen's behavior, th- this, this entire situation shouldn't change anybody's opinion on, on Jalen Green. Um, Right, he's a kid. He's 21, 22 years old. Sorry, I keep doing that. Twenty-two years old, um, and it's okay for him to react how he wants to react. Right, if he's frustrated with with Roosh or with me or with anybody else, he's free to react the way that he wants to react. So, at the same time, though, when you're in this position, when you're in this role as as a member of an NBA basketball team, as the starting two guard of the Rockets, and you take exception to this level of criticism when when you yourself have been playing pretty poorly. And then on top of that, to share the message that you don't believe that the team is utilizing you properly and that you don't believe that you're a sixth man, then that does warrant some concern. Because at least my understanding has always been that Jalen is, is open to whatever the coaching staff wants him to do, that he is 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 teachable, that he's coachable, that he's willing to do whatever it takes to be successful. And, you know, Ime Udoka has done this whole, I'm going to break you down and build you back up thing this season with a lot of players, but mainly Jalen Green. And I'm curious, but also a, a little bit concerned as to how things might be received if Ime Udoka ultimately decides that the best scenario moving forward or his or you know what he decides to do with Jalen moving forward specifically is to bring him off the bench because now we know that Jalen is against that that he doesn't believe himself to be a sixth man that he doesn't believe himself uh to be utilized properly by this team so does he accept a potential bench role is he is he willing to come off the bench will he be resistant to it um and what is it ultimately, what would it ultimately look like? Because I think you can tackle that first comment that he's that he's not being used properly. And and I I would counter that by by asking the question or proposing the question, uh how would what is the best way to use Jalen Green? I think that we saw the comments after the recent game against the Timberwolves, in which Jalen and Shingun both talked about playing faster, but Jalen really talked about it. Like Jalen spent a lot of time talking about, you know, wanting to play with more pace and getting out in transition and not having to deal with attacking a set defense all the time. And, and that's perfectly understandable. And I think we, we've got the eye test tells us that, that Jalen does shine and flourish and looks a lot better when he is playing in a faster pace because he's an, he's an Uber athlete, right? Getting Jalen out in transition should be a no brainer, you know? And I think that's why over the, recent last few weeks or so we've seen an uptick 
in his rebounding numbers. It's very Westbrook-esque in the way that Jalen can get a rebound and just go in transition. And we've seen him have a lot of success in, in attacking the glass more effectively, getting out transition, running, attacking a defense before it's set, all of the all of that, right? So that's been a nice kind of breath of fresh air and an area that hopefully Jalen can continue to build upon and, and look really good at doing. But at the same time, I look at all the different ways that this Rockets coaching staff has tried to deploy Jalen Green this season where he's played a lot off ball. He's played a lot on ball. He's played a lot with the starters. He's played a lot with the second unit where he was the tip of the spear. And, and basically those those second units early on where Jalen would come out early in the game and then he'd sub back in late in the first quarter. And it'd basically be the Jalen Green show for five or six minutes at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, where it was Jalen and four bench guys. And he didn't really take advantage of those opportunities. Then we saw Ime Udoka kind of adjust and start to feature Jalen more with the starters, where he took on more ball handling responsibilities. Fred Van Vliet started to play more off ball. And we started to see more Jalen Green, Alper, and Shingun two-man games, some more Jalen Green isolation, but with the starters out there instead of the bench unit. And I, I really do just struggle to see where or how this coaching staff could use Jalen in yet another different way. I really do feel like Ime Udoka has done a lot, has has adjusted and changed rotations and lineups and his approach, uh, the offensive hierarchy at times, because very early on it was clear that, that Shingun Van Vliet pick and roll was the bread and butter of this Rockets team, as well as just... Shingun post-ups and, and face-up opportunities where you, the offense was just running through Shingun. And then they 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 pivoted from that. They they moved away from that and started featuring Jalen Green more in the offense or trying to feature him more, whether it was at the start of the game where they would run the first two, three, four, five plays all for Jalen Green to try to get him going early or coming back from halftime and running a bunch of plays for Jalen out of the half to try and get him going in the third quarter. I feel like this Rockets coaching staff has done a lot to try and unlock Jalen Green, to try and put him in the best position to be successful this season. And it's come with mixed results because we've seen some games where Jalen Green looks like he's a future bona fide star level player. And then we've seen some games where he just looks really bad, where he looks like he is doesn't really have an argument to be a part of a eight or nine man NBA rotation. And that's the issue is we've seen these pendulum swings from, from really good to really bad, back to really good, back to really bad. And if Jalen could just get somewhere closer in the middle, even if you eliminated the highs, right? Even if you eliminated all the games where Jalen looks like a future superstar, but if you also, by that same token, eliminated the lows, the really bad games and kept him somewhere in that middle bracket, then I think a lot of people, myself included, would be a lot more uh, appreciative or happy or whatever with with the performances because it's the swinging back and forth from the crazy highs to the crazy lows that is that is ultimately what's problematic for Jalen. And I just can't wrap my head around what other ways this coaching staff could utilize him differently other than a move to the bench because... Players have talked about this before. The game is very different when you are a starting player, when you're in the starting lineup, and when you have to you know, get the game going from the jump versus being able to be on the bench and study and see the game for the first you know, five, six, eight, seven minutes, whatever. I don't know why I went out of order counting there. But 
you know, Eric Gordon has spoken about this, about his role, right? His roles in the past coming off the bench versus versus starting. And you approach the game differently. There's a different mental component to being able to see how a game is going first, reading things, picking up on things, understanding how the officials are calling a specific game, how certain teams are guarding certain actions, all those little things that you can pick up on on the bench for the first five to eight or so minutes of the game before you check in, and then being able to play, and also subsequently being able to play, A, you're playing fresh off the bench, and then B, you're also playing against largely second unit level players. So I think there's overall less pressure, less expectations in that role and that could be a really beneficial thing for Jalen Green moving forward now ultimately again this is a lot of what ifs and a lot of you know we really don't know we're kind of operating off pure speculation here but I'm going to be very it's going to be very interesting to see a if Emi Odoka makes a drastic change to the starting lineup by moving Jalen Green to the bench and b subsequently how will Jalen Green ultimately respond if that does come to pass? Does he accept the role? Does he thrive in the role? And if he thrives in that six-man role, is there something about that approach to being a six-man or coming off the bench that can then be transitioned and 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 adjusted and then applied to his potential role and, and maybe he finds a way to fight his way back into the starting lineup, potentially? So the Rockets have a lot of choices to make the back half of the season post all-star break. Um, ultimately, if the play in tournament is out of reach, I would love to see them just focus on the core six as much as possible. If you can find something with Jalen green, if you can find a way to, you know, unlock him here in the final third of the season, final little stretch of the season before the off season gets here. And you, you can concretely feel confident about, Hey, this is a new version of him. We found something. We understand how we can make him a winning impactful player in this specific role or utilizing him this way. Then that's a huge win. I think for the organization, will they be able to do it? I don't know, but those are all my thoughts on the recent Jalen green discussion. I'm curious your thoughts. I want to know how you feel about everything that we just went over these first couple segments. Let me know your thoughts in the YouTube comments. But coming up, I do want to get into some quick thoughts on NBA All-Star Weekend 2024. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the very next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the very next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen right there at your fingertips. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure, but hey, maybe you want a little bit more space for the family. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has room for up to eight, an expansive cargo capacity, and advanced available 4x4 capability with 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds towing capacity. When adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer. So take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Let's talk a little NBA All-Star Weekend because, look, the Rockets didn't have a ton of representation at All-Star Weekend. Unfortunately, we know that Cam Whitmore was asked to participate in the dunk contest and, and declined, unfortunately. So maybe he was a little worried about having his own 
Jalen Green level performance in the dunk contest. And look, I get it. There's there's very little to gain from participating in the dunk contest and a lot to lose if it goes poorly, which is why the uh, participation level and the, the ultimate ultimately the draw for the dunk contest has completely cratered in the last few years. But the Rockets did have one representative at NBA All-Star Weekend, Jabari Smith Jr. Um, he participated in the Rising Stars game as a sophomore. He was on Team Pau Gasol, who got waxed by Team Detlef uh, full of G League players. That is, it was probably the upset of the weekend. Uh, Jabari was teamed up with Brandon Miller, Victor Wembanyama, Jaime Hawkins Jr., Brandon Podzimski, and they got absolutely cooked by the G League guys. And look, it is what it is. The G League guys have a lot more to prove than the actual players who are playing in the NBA, who have secured NBA-level contracts, right? Up-and-coming star-level players. So the G League guys were, were really getting after it. Shout-out to Alondis Williams, who was absolutely sensational. Went at Victor Wimanyama multiple times in that matchup. Uh, so it was disappointing to not see Jabari have a bigger stage or be able to shine a bit more in his Rising Stars game uh, appearance. Uh, I was hoping for, you know, a, bi a big time performance from Jabari. He had four points, two of four shooting, nothing special. He had a driving layup, hit a jumper at one point. It is what it is. Uh, elsewhere, though, from All-Star Weekend, uh, Saturday night was where, like, at the, at the end of the day, I, Saturday night is where all the fun is at. It's the events, the skills competition, the three-point shootout. The dunk contest, even though it's kind of, you know, become a little mid as of late. Uh, and then this year, uh, a special event, the three-point shootout between Sabrina Ionescu and Steph Curry, which was a ton of fun, uh, taking place immediately after the uh, regular three-point competition. Uh, I look, I love the skills competition. I think it's fun, but at the same time, it's, it's also kind of bland. Like, All-Star Weekend in its entirety is kind of bland. And there's certain things that I feel like the NBA could do to spice certain things up. Like take the skills challenge, for example, there's certain parts of the skills challenge that I like, like I enjoy at the end, right? When they're shooting from the five different spots on the floor, that's cool. The passing one is kind of, <coughs> pardon me. The passing one is kind of annoying where you're just doing like a fake little three man weave and trying to get it through the, the passing goalposts. I was kind of whatever the relay races used to be kind of fun. And I feel like now it's, it's taken, it's gone a little bit more downhill because the targets are even bigger and you don't even have to make one of the shots. Like you just have to keep, you have to shoot until you miss all three from the corner or whatever, or, or drain one. And then you get to keep going. So I don't know, add something like maybe the guards have to make like a teardrop or something, or the bigs have to like block a shot, like have a, you know, a volunteer shooter who's, it doesn't even have to be an NBA player. Just have a volunteer shooter. Who's like, you know, attempting a layup or a three-pointer and the, the big has to get over in time to block the shot or something. I don't know. Just get a little bit more creative with it, right? There's smarter people than me who are in charge of making these decisions. And, you know, I just think that for it being one of the NBA's most, like, their, their, their tentpole events, right? It's a big draw. It's all-star weekend. It's just really bland, and it's just not a lot of fun, unfortunately. And, and it's not an NBA problem exclusively. The Pro Bowl and the NFL is largely a joke, uh, NHL and MLB have the same problems with their versions of like the all-star weekend. So it kind of is what it is. And there maybe isn't like a bona fide like solution to make it better, but certain things like the Sabrina and Steph shootout, that's fun. That's exciting. That was probably the best part of all-star weekend. And I feel gross saying that on a Rockets podcast, but it was really cool watching two of the greatest shooters ever go head to head. Uh, 
The actual three-point competition was a lot of fun, though, because we had a four-way tie in the first round. Three, uh, 26s across the board with Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Dame, Tyrese Halliburton. Who was the last one? Trey Young? Yeah. And then they did the, uh, the tiebreaker round to decide who would not make it to the final round. And unfortunately, Tyrese Halliburton did not make the cut. Uh, Damian Lillard won the three-point shootout completely, went back-to-back, won last year, won this year. Uh, and somebody pointed out, and I didn't realize this, Damian Lillard is the first player in NBA history to participate in all of the NBA All-Star Weekend events. He's done Rising Stars. He's done all of the Saturday night events, so skills competition, three-point shootout, and dunk contest. And he's participated in the All-Star Game, eight straight appearances, his first time as a starter, uh, this most recent one, for the Eastern Conference, because he's started in, or he's played in the West his entire career until this season. So he hasn't been able to start, you know, in the Western Conference, because he's always up against very high-level starting guards. Basically, Steph Curry's locked down one of those spots every season for a long time, and it's basically been Luka for a long time, and, and SGA, and James Harden, and it's been a lot of different names ahead of him in the pecking order out West. So, uh, Dame goes back-to-back, and even Mac McClung went back-to-back in the dunk contest. He won this one, but the dunk contest even felt all messy because the judges, it kind of felt like they were voting based on, like, the name recognition of Jalen Brown, since Jalen Brown was the only, like, what do you want to call him, like, notable NBA player because you had a rookie, a G-leaguer, and then an end-of-bench guy in Jacob Toppin who... You know, and that's that's just kind of the problem with the dunk contest, right? Is you don't have the name draw of the NBA's best stars wanting to come out and compete in the dunk contest because again, there's a lot to lose and very little to gain at the end of the day. If you go out there and you miss a couple dunks or you embarrass yourself or the judges score you poorly, all that stuff. So I don't know what the whether like at the end of the day, the the money incentive, the the monetary incentive for the in season tournament worked really well, and we saw some high level competition being played with the IST. I, I don't know if you could do that with All-Star Weekend, just put some cash prizes up there for grabs and maybe players would be more incentivized to want to participate at that point. The NBA has got plenty of money. It's a billion dollar organization. So if you can fork up, I don't know, 100 grand, 250 Gs or something for the winner of the dunk contest, winner of the three-point shootout, all that stuff, it doesn't even feel, it's not, the three-point shootout's not even the problem because there's very little, it, like, players love participating in that all the NBA's best three-point shooters come out and compete in the three-point contest it is what it is maybe you have an off night who cares you're not get, gonna get clowned for missing some shots the way you will if you completely you know biff it in the uh in the dunk contest so I get it uh but then you know the, the what's supposed to be the marquee event of all-star weekend was just a complete letdown um, I'm probably done watching all-star weekend until the Rockets have like more of a presence in some of the activities moving forward because, well, hopefully knock on wood, the Rockets have a presence next year with Alper and Shingoon making an all-star team. Maybe Cam Whitmore decides to participate in the dunk contest. Hell, maybe Cam Whitmore in the three-point shootout would be fun, but the all-star game was just a joke, man. It's just, it was just players out there doing cardio, heaving shots from 30 plus 35 feet out from the basket. So, and looks, it's cool watching like, you know, Dame and Tyrese Halliburton drain half court shots and go back and forth. And the Eastern conference broke the record for the previous record for highest score in an all-star game. 196 was the previous record. They finished with 211. Uh, so that like, it's a high octane scoring affair, but there's literally like no defense being played. You can tell that certain guys like Luca and Jokic don't even want to be out there. It's a joke to them. So, how do you 
get players to care or, or does it matter? Because at the end of the day, like there's the, and it's kind of a mentality shift between the previous era of players and the current era of players, because there's a video that was circulating of Kobe Bryant doing an interview talking about his experience with the all-star game and how he's such like an innate competitor that when he stepped out there on the court for the all-star game, he was going to compete regardless. He was going to, he was going to work on defense. He was going to compete offensively. He wanted to win because he was a competitor through and through. And he talked about his, like when he and Chris Paul were teamed up that they, that they never lost a game when they were teamed up together because they wanted to compete at the highest level. And those are two guys that, that do not lack for any ounce of, of competitive drive as to who they are, their personalities, their, their human DNA, makeup, all that. And then you have a video of Anthony Edwards who was asked, you know, what changes could, would you make to all-star weekend or how would you improve it? And, and it was just like, man, I just, I look at this thing as a break, right? It's a break. We're taking a, you know, we get a week off from the season. We got this long NBA season. We're And I'm paraphrasing here, but that's basically the mentality. And that's the difference is you've got Ant, who is the next generation of NBA player. And you've got the previous regime. And even members of the previous regime didn't always take it seriously. But we've seen just how good it can be when the players do take it seriously. Take, for example, the introduction of the Elam ending back in 2020 and how hard Team LeBron and Team Giannis went at each other trying to win that game. That was some of the most insane, intense basketball that I have ha ever had the opportunity to witness, including like playoff bat. Like that had playoff caliber like stakes. It felt like a game seven in that all-star game with the best players in the world. And I think that's the ultimate goal for the NBA is they want it to feel like the world's most talented, best, like, pickup game. And if the players don't take it seriously, then it's never going to achieve, achieve that level. And it's never going to live up to the hype that the NBA tries to put around the event. So what do you do? Do you incentivize the players with money? Do you do something like adding, and I've had this thought in the past, but you could add, say, like, I don't know, put teams in a lottery. Now that it's back to East-West format, you could add, say, like uh, a 31st pick to the NBA draft, but put it after the lottery, but before the rest of the pick select. So say pick 15. And then all the and then all the teams from the conference that wins the game, or or even better, all the teams that have a player in the game representing them. If you win, then you get entered into a raffle to try and win that pick. I don't know. It's just, but this is this is just me spitballing an idea like off rip or that I've had in the past here on the show. You can have like a, a, a think tank of NBA, uh, NBA employees sitting in a room somewhere, come up with some ideas to incentivize teams and players to take the all-star game seriously. Um, again, money is a great incentive, you know, a great tool for, for incentive. I just... I don't know. Somebody else suggested that you give like whoever the winning conference is gets automatic home court in the finals. And like that kind of works. But then you also kind of realize that there's a lot of players that are playing on these teams that have zero stake in the playoffs and their teams are not playing, you know, for anything postseason relevance. But I think that the majority of players who are playing tend to play for better teams. So getting home court advantage in the finals would probably mean a lot to them. But the counter argument to it is, OK, well, if you're. LeBron and you're playing in the all-star game and you win the all-star game, but you yourself don't make it to the finals. And instead say like the warriors or some other Western conference team, the thunder, the, the wolves, whoever they make it to the finals, then guess what? You just made it easier for that team to win the finals because you helped them secure home court advantage. So yes, it's, 
you know, interest of self-preservation to want to secure home court for yourself, but you also don't want to help out your opponents, the other 29 teams in the association or the other 14 teams in your conference. I don't know. It's a mess. It was hilarious, though, watching Adam Silver very dejectedly (laughs) hand over the All-Star Game trophy to the Eastern Conference, his line where he's just, well, you scored the most points. Like, just his... Silver was hyping this thing up like crazy. He said that they were going to see it, that we were going to see a competitive all-star game better than last year's. And it was so much worse. And I just, I don't, at this point, I don't know what the NBA can do to fix it. Um, but until the players start taking it seriously, it's just going to kind of be a joke and it's okay. If that's what it is, if it's going to be a joke, that's fine. But the NBA needs to stop taking themselves so seriously if they can't find a way to get the players to take it seriously. Because then all that happens every year is they hype it up as this huge event. It's going to be the best players in the world playing against each other. And then it's not even like I've seen like cell phone footage from like, you know, off season like pro runs that look more competitive than the all star game. And that's like the sad state of affairs that the NBA is currently at. So or currently in, I should say. So with that. Those are final thoughts from NBA All-Star Weekend. Hopefully the Rockets get a little bit more representation next year. Give me your thoughts on NBA All-Star. That's the bonus YouTube comment. So give me your thoughts on the Jalen Green discussion from the first couple segments. Give me your thoughts on NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, Whether you're listening, whether you're watching on YouTube, drop those thoughts in the comment section. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.